Hello, and welcome to the Tech Dirt Podcast. I'm Mike Masnick. The world is increasingly technological, so we have better get methodical. Bringing precision to critical digital journalism with the singular vision of a modern monocle. Stopping the copyright police from pulling the wall on us. Painting and taking on all the plates and paint and troll. Document the ways that they aim to take control. Scrutinize and do their lies and make them fold. If we don't stand up to them, someone will get hurt. To grab a shovel and dig up the tech. If we don't stand up to them, someone will get hurt. To grab a shovel and dig up the tech. One of the big topics that lots of folks in the media, government, and tech have all been talking about, uh, lately at least, is the question of whether or not the big tech companies are violating antitrust law and whether or not they should be broken up, and a variety of questions in that nature. A few weeks back, there was even a massive, nearly six-hour-long hearing in the House of Representatives, uh, and I watched the entire thing, which was kind of exhausting, <laughs> that got the CEOs of Apple, Google, Facebook, and Amazon to all appear and face a barrage of questions, uh, some uh, much dumber than others, I think. Uh, there were some good questions, but uh, an awful lot of very, very... Uh, not great questions is the way I will diplomatically put it. Uh, I have argued before that while I am certainly often concerned about many of the actions that these companies have taken, antitrust actually feels like the wrong tool, even if it's the tool that most people are focused on. Uh, I am not at all convinced that antitrust will have the desired outcome that people seem to think it will. Now, one of the issues with the internet is the fact that there are real network effects that actually often benefit users. And I worry about almost every plan to break up these companies that it will actually do more harm than good. On top of that, many of the things that these companies are accused of doing in violation of antitrust law actually seems to help their users rather than harm them. That is certainly not to say that the companies are perfect. Uh, I certainly hope that we will continue to see more competition, uh, and I tend to believe that that competition is actually on its way, and in some cases already showing up. Uh, it's actually amazing how quickly things can change in the internet space. Uh, it really was not that long ago that people talked about the three dominant internet firms being Google, Yahoo, and Microsoft. Uh, now, Google is obviously still being talked about, but Yahoo sold for pennies to Verizon and Microsoft is, I don't know, somehow being ignored in the corner, quietly biting its tongue, hoping that nobody recognizes it's still around. Uh, today, though, I wanted to talk about one of the specific concerns raised about Amazon. Uh, as some people know, Amazon has its own private label products. And one of the accusations that is regularly trotted out uh, against Amazon is that it's somehow unfair for it to be both the marketplace and a seller in that marketplace, uh, effectively competing against other sellers, especially the argument goes, since it gets to see all the seller's data and therefore make competitive decisions based on that. And when put that way, it, it certainly can sound bad, uh, but it's not clear how bad this really is. First off, nearly every big retailer has uh, a house brand, um, private labels uh, sales, and 
the research company Numerator released a report last year comparing retailers and how much of their sales were private label goods, showing that Costco had 29% that was private labeled, Walmart had 19%, and Amazon had just 1%. Uh, at the very least, this suggests that Amazon does a lot less than other retail competitors, though admittedly the setup is a bit different and it is not a one-to-one -one comparison between Amazon and Costco or Walmart. Uh, however, there's still the argument about the data and whether or not it is unfair that Amazon has that data. Uh, our guest today, Greg Mercer, the CEO of the company Jungle Scout, uh, argued in a recent article that this is also somewhat overblown and that tons of companies effectively have access to the same data that Amazon does. So, Greg, uh, welcome to the podcast. Mike, thanks a lot for having me on. I'm excited to uh, chat with you about this topic. Sure, that's great. So can we start by just talking a little bit about uh, Jungle Scout itself? Uh, what is that company? I'm, I'm, I'm sure that people who are in the Amazon seller space are aware of it, but for other folks who are not, uh, tell us a little bit about the company. Sure. So yeah, I'm the uh, founder and CEO of Jungle Scout. I founded it uh, five and a half years ago now because I was personally selling on Amazon through their third-party um, system. And I developed a way to estimate how well all the products on Amazon were selling. I was using this in my own business to make decisions about what new products I wanted to launch. And then I ultimately came up with this idea at the time that was gonna be a little bit of a side hustle to just package this into a simple Chrome extension, sell it. I thought I was gonna be doing really good if I got like one new customer a week. Fast forward all the way today, this is uh, certainly my full-time gig. Jungle Scout now has 150 employees and almost a half million customers. And we provide analytics and insights about the Amazon platform. So the majority of our customers are 3P sellers, but we also have uh, large brands that are household names. And they use our tool to pull out insights uh, primarily around consumer behavior, customer demand on the Amazon platform. And so where, where are you getting this data from? What, what is the, the basis for, for that data? So what's cool about it is that we're able to collect all that data from public facing Amazon pages. So Amazon publicly um, like releases or publicly uh, puts little signals on different pages that indicate to us how well these different products are selling or what consumers are searching for. And they, they kind of like leave a lot of these little tips on different parts of their site. And then what we're able to do is we're able to just publicly crawl that, collect these different data points, and then use them to um, kind of like convert them into real numbers that people would be, uh, or that are more easily digestible. For example, instead of looking at the bestseller rank, we can show you how many units that product is selling per day. Interesting. Um, and... And then you provide that data back to, to, to your customers, to, to, yeah. to the various sellers. That's exactly right. So the primary, I guess if you asked 100 Jungle Scout users, you know, what's your favorite thing about Jungle Scout? They would tell you that it provides the sales data for any product on Amazon. So it's like, okay, why is this data valuable or why is it important or why you want to use it? There's a lot of different reasons, but the primary reasons would be um, like product, product line expansion. So mm -hmm. if you're looking to add a new product, 
then you would then you like to see what consumers are purchasing or what they are uh, or what's selling well, and you'd want to sell something like that. Alternatively, maybe you're already selling a product, but you want to find out what colors are selling best. So you want to choose one of those, or you want to pick up on new trends. Uh, so there's a lot of different use cases for understanding what consumers are purchasing, but those would be a handful of kind of like the more popular ones. Right. So let's let's talk a little about this article that you wrote, um, where you sort of were pushing back on the idea that um, that it was an unfair practice that Amazon has access to this data and is making decisions on it. Um, first of all, like what what made you decide to write this particular article? Yeah, so it sounds just like you, Mike, that I was watching that uh, hearing where they were kind of grilling the different CEOs of the big tech companies. And don't get me wrong, there's, I think, a lot of problems with these companies. You know, there's yeah. a lot of things that need to be improved on, whether or not government can help with some of those problems or not. I don't really, I'm not smart enough to know, to be honest. <laughs> but just to see that they're, you know, kind of wasting quite a bit of time on this one particular topic was... I think it just showed to me that, you know, a lot of these um, politicians seem fairly uneducated on the particular topic. Um, and of course, there's all different types of motives that they're uh, kind of behind that. Because I was watching it and I was like, Amazon's essentially claiming that they don't do this, but who really cares if they are? Because every single person selling on Amazon or this platform is doing it also. <laughs> so, right. you know, like, it's for me, it's like, okay, this isn't, you know, the, the antitrust or anti-competitive nature like you're discussing here, they're just doing, if they are, which they kind of claiming that they're not or that, you know, that they're not sure or some people might access it or whatever. But I'm like, who cares? Everyone's doing it on the entire <laughs> platform. Like Jungle Scout alone, right, has nearly a half million customers. There's only a few million Amazon sellers. Um, and um, I know all of the, the brands have access to this information too. So to me, it's like, uh, it seems like a pretty even playing field, which is rare for me to say, because I'm usually always sticking up for the entrepreneurs and the small businesses. Right, right. Um, but is it, I mean, some people might push back and say, well, Amazon has somehow has like, you know, higher fidelity data, or maybe they have data that you don't have access to. Is there, is there an argument there? Or do you think that, that most sellers uh, who use a platform such as yours or, or some of the other ones that, um, that, you know, maybe their data is not as good as Amazon's? So I don't know if I'm allowed to say this or not, but I was speaking to someone at Amazon who, who used to work in the, the kind of like the private label department for one of the particular product lines. And I was talking to them because they were at a conference and they came up to me and said that they were used, that they use Jungle Scout. And I was like, <laughs> why do you use Jungle Scout? Like you have access to all of the data. And um, I think they were being careful how they worded it, but it was essentially they were saying that it just the way that it's structured or maybe their access or whatever else is difficult for them to use, or it doesn't provide as good of insights. So the people kind of working in that department were actually using our tool because yeah, I mean, it was their opinion at least that we provided better insights than they could get inside of Amazon. Right. Um, <laughs> it's kind of 
uh, both Ironic hilarious <laughs> and, and yeah, but but also probably not that surprising. I mean, for for any of us who have ever worked in large companies, uh, very early in my career, I worked at Intel, and you know, one of the funny things was people always used to assume that we must have the best, you know, fastest computers on our desk, and yet we had really old and incredibly slow, computers, <laughs> which is just sort of the nature of of a lot of big companies. I think, um, I, I I think you know and. So I, I think, you know, I think it's interesting that, and I think you raised a really good point, which is that, you know, when Congress is looking at these things, oftentimes they have a very different belief of what is happening out there than, than what reality is. And sometimes it's just that they're not very technologically savvy. And sometimes it's just that they're not very well informed. And like the, you know, I think when I first heard about this question of like, does Amazon have access to data that allows it to compete unfairly, that my gut reaction too was, was the same as some of the, the folks in Congress, that that feels that feels a little weird. Um, and I think your article was, was really interesting because it, it got me to think a lot more carefully about that. Um, and, you know, one of the things that you note is that, you know, whatever Amazon says, it's, it's you know, almost certainly true that they are making use of that data, but that you just, you know, you don't see it as, as being unfair. Are the, uh, among, like, the third-party sellers that you know or work with or talk to you know how do they feel about it do they do they feel i mean obviously you can't like not not all of them have the same opinion but do you get a sense that they dislike amazon having its own private label stuff or are they sort of viewing it kind of the same way you are yeah it's a good question i'd say the kind of opinions or feedback i get around it differs so there's definitely the the group of people who feel like Amazon's always out to get them and they love to hate kind of like on the big companies. There's definitely kind of that group of people and they always talk about how it's not fair and uh, you know, that they're always worried about what Amazon's going to do to kind of crush their little business. There's definitely a group of people like that. Um, and then there's another group of people that I think are in my opinion, a little bit more uh, mature, like business savvy and if you really have a, com a like a good conversation with them around it, they don't necessarily see it that way or they're not that worried about Amazon. And typically the reasons for that are one, like we've been discussing, there's a lot of ways to get access to kind of consumer demand uh, kind of behavior or data, uh, even if you're not Amazon. And then two is these... Uh, kind of smaller third-party companies and entrepreneurs, just like we see in every industry, are typically uh, just better at kind of just making things happen. So they're usually better at getting a, a little bit of higher quality product, or they're quicker to make changes to it when there's something that goes wrong or the, the market's kind of shifting. Uh, typically, the third-party sellers' listings on Amazon are of higher quality, so they usually have higher quality images. They usually have better written copy. Um, you know, it's so these these sellers that are a little bit more, like I said, in my opinion, business savvy. They usually, I think, see it of like, hey, I'm actually not that scared to be competing against Amazon because they're kind of big and slow and just not as effective at creating really good listings. Whereas they're usually really concerned with other third party sellers that are really savvy. Yeah. And I think that makes sense. I mean, I know that like one of the, 
um, complaints that I've heard, and I, I, I don't study this this space as closely as I'm sure you do. But, you know, one of the concerns that I've heard people talk about is like when it comes to third-party sellers where you have like a bunch of people who all sort of are, are chasing trends and there's this sort of race to the bottom where suddenly, you know, some data says that this particular red widget sells really well and suddenly you have, you know, 50 different sellers rush in with what looks like identical versions of this particular red widget just because that's what the the data sells and it seems like you know that kind of commodification honestly is a much bigger threat than amazon suddenly coming in and saying like here's the you know uh you know amazon choice uh, uh red widget uh, mm-hmm. that is that's going to com- compete with these and so you know how I, i'm, I'm Again, just kind of curious because this space is, is kind of interesting, and I'm not as familiar with it. Like, you know, what? How are the different third-party sellers kind of c- competing against each other and trying to stand out as opposed to just copying each other? Sure. Well, as you identified with more commodity-like products, which, if you really start to look around on Amazon, it's the vast majority of them. All of a sudden, it gets a little bit harder to compete, right? Because anyone can create a new listing, anyone can order that product from China, get it imported. So then you have to start to think, okay, so how do these people compete? And ultimately what drives purchasing behavior on Amazon the most is going to be the price, the reviews or the review quality. So how many you know high quality reviews this product's receiving, uh, the speed of shipping, And then there is an aspect of essentially it's just marketing on the listing or how well the customer understands what what they're purchasing and to make sure there's no kind of um, questions that are left in their mind then. So if we break it down kind of on that level and think about it on that level, it's like, okay, who has the advantages on um, cost? Because that means that they can sell it for a lower amount. Mm -hmm. Who's going to be able to produce it at a high quality so it consistently gets five-star reviews or high-quality reviews. As far as shipping speed goes, everyone's pretty much on the same playing field because almost everyone uses the Fulfillment by Amazon program, Mm -hmm. um, which would mean that they're all kind of like prime eligible. And then that last one's just, like I said, kind of around listing quality. So who can create really nice pictures and write good copy and, you know, have these lifestyle images and just like a high-quality listing that converts well. Um, So... I say all that because if we think about who ha- who can get the best pricing, what I actually see as the area that's going to kind of win in that uh, industry is usually the factories that are typically in China. So mm-hmm. if we're talking about these commodity-like products, um, towels and kitchen goods and chairs and tables and extension cords and whatever else, just stuff like that that's been around forever and there's not a lot of innovation happening with it. I mean, the the Chinese factories have become more and more prevalent selling on Amazon the recent couple of years and they have the, um, I think they definitely have the upper hand as far as that goes. If we talk about the quality of the listing, that's... Um, Historically, where that particular market segment, like the Chinese factories, have struggled more, uh, but it seems like over the years they've been getting better and better with it. So, um, yeah, I mean, uh, it's what I'm kind of laying out here. I think is the reason that Amazon has become so popular and such a uh, a great place to shop from a consumer aspect. But at the same time, it's also why it's. Uh, 
challenging for third-party sellers to really win on the platform. Now, I don't know if that's necessarily a bad thing, but it's more so mm-hmm. like capitalism at its, uh, I guess you could say at its finest. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it is it is interesting just from like a purely sort of economics competition, free market, you know, uh, place to, to, to watch things, um, to see how these different, different things compete. And that, you know, again, that sort of goes back to this question that people have raised about Amazon's role in that and whether or not they're sort of unfairly competing. But I think, you know, the the point that you make, which is sort of worth digging into a little is, is the fact that even, even with this data, you know, the way competition works when you're talking about commodified items is often about, you know, people experimenting with with small changes, whether it's changes in like better photographs or better shipping or being able to market yourself slightly better. Um, and despite w- what people think, it's not always clear that Amazon necessarily has the the real advantage there, even if you, you, you know, a lot of people assume that they must. But, you know, there are plenty of stories, again, as with like, you know, Intel and having terrible computers <laughs> on our desks or right. Amazon having to use your product to, to look at their own data. Um, you know, th- these companies tend to be sort of slow and bureaucratic and have committees and, and right. you know, the ability to make those changes, whereas smaller um, s- smaller third-party sellers often have much more incentive to actually be innovative uh, and to try the different experiments to see like okay i'm gonna you know the the, i'm gonna show off images in a different color or highlight different aspects of it and just experiment and and be able to look at their own data and see what works Um, and and that level of experimentation the fact that so many different uh, providers can do that seems like you know that they can be more nimble and actually have an advantage is that what you've seen i have so I think for the audience, it might be helpful just to use uh, kind of an example here, right? Sure. So let's, uh, I'm looking at my window at a, uh, like a beach chair right now. I'm not on the beach. I wish I was, but I'm, I'm looking at a chair <laughs> on my patio. It's a beach chair. <laughs> and so let's use this as an example. Um, if we talk, I don't know whether or not Amazon sells a private label beach chair or not. They may. Um, but let's say that they do. Let's say, let's even say for a second that they've been using this data and lying about it and whatever else. They recognize that blue beach chairs are selling well, um, and they started selling these on their uh, their website. And so, you know, this is someone that works at Amazon. Maybe they identified this. <clears throat> they worked with a sourcing agent to find a good beach chair manufacturer, probably in China. And they found this China, uh, this uh, factory that they thought they were at best. And they went ahead and ordered it, and they put it up for sale on their listing. Now, it probably took them longer to find a factory and get those contracts signed and through legal and everything else than what it would these um, more nimble third-party sellers. When they actually start selling it, it's uh, even with really good data, it's hard to know how well it's going to sell because a lot of it depends on those first few reviews that it gets or there's always an aspect of seasonality, like forecasting is just difficult. So it's more likely that they have either too much inventory or not enough. Um, if you look at all of Amazon's listings, their pictures aren't really that good. They don't really have lifestyle images. There's never really like a story told along with the, um, the, the item. So overall, it's like they, maybe they know these beach chairs are selling well, um, so they start selling it, but they're kind of slow to adapt. Now let's just compare that to a third party seller or in the most extreme case, a a factory that's selling directly on Amazon. 
For them, it's quite a bit different because it's really quick for them to get the product into Amazon. But now what's probably more important is like their agility or their, or their ability to make changes either to their inventory levels or to the product really quickly. Because what's going to happen is um, what we all love so much about Amazon is the reviews. What's going to happen is they're going to every product's going to receive a few bad reviews initially, and there's usually common themes. So you know maybe this beach chair, the uh, the straps on it uh, break pretty easily. So like if a factory is reading these negative reviews pretty quickly, they can change that out for a new strap, and on the next batch, it's like a little bit thicker strap. Or someone leaves a bad review that um, something else you know is happening. It's like. Pretty quickly, it's easy for these factories to make these small tweaks. The inventory management's much easier for them so they can get another shipment in there pretty quickly. So it's like just their, um, just kind of like the scrappiness and the like the agility that these smaller companies or these factories have, in my opinion, is like a really nice competitive edge over what Amazon's able to do. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. I mean, one of the things that, that comes up sometimes, though, is like, you know, Within Amazon, sellers have the ability to effectively pay for, um, you know, high placement in the search results. And it's sort of like the the what's known as you know end caps within the retail space, where you know if you want to be at the end of an aisle in a special display, you can pay for that kind of placement. Um, and you know, sellers on Amazon can do that. Um, and so, you know, one of the arguments that some people make is that you know Amazon gets to place its own uh, you know, private label goods, you know, in the top spot when there is uh, a search on those products. Um, do you have any thoughts on that and, and how that plays out in the in the Amazon marketplace? Yes, I, I do think that that is one area that mm-hmm. Amazon would have an unfair advantage. Now, for a little while, this was pretty prominent, um, especially for a lot of these commodity type items. When you would search on Amazon, you would see a little bar there that would show, um, that's like, it says things like try from one of our brands or whatever else, something along those lines. I recently have not seen any of those. And my guess is because of the antitrust (laughs) or when I have seen them, they've been much further down the page, um, like the fourth, fifth, sixth row, because that, I mean, like, I don't know if I can necessarily say that they're doing anything that's like unethical and it's certainly not illegal, but that does give them an advantage over sure. third party sellers, which I, um, which I get. Now, we also have to think a little bit though, like what would be driving this and kind of like the economics behind it. And we have to also remember that Amazon doesn't necessarily make more money on any product that they sell 1P or that they sell from their private labels. Right. Um, they make a guaranteed 15% commission from any third-party sales. And um, a lot of products that they sell first-party, I have to imagine this is also true with their private labels, actually don't have 15% margins on those products. Right. So we have to also think like, okay, you know, when they are taking these pretty nice placements. I used to used to see them kind of like in the first or second row or at least above the fold on their pages. Right. Um, they are, I'm sure they are reducing some of the sales that would otherwise end up below it, which isn't necessarily a win as far as um, like the economics of it are concerned, <laughs> right. right? Because 
you know, if you're like, like a CPG brand, um, you would be able to fairly argue, easily argue that the like the brand awareness and acquiring a, a, an initial customer underneath your brand and then understanding and kind of getting hooked on your brand is a really valuable thing. And that would have a, a pretty decent argument. But I mean, I don't think there's strong brand allegiance to any of these private label brands yeah. or, you know, like Amazon Basics or whatever else. I don't think anyone's like, oh, man, Amazon Basics is the best brand. I'm only saying that <laughs> type of thing. So I don't I mean, so that I think you did just call out the area that I think is um, would be the the most uh, kind of like anti-competitive of nature. But right. in my opinion, it still doesn't seem like really that strong of an argument. Yeah, I mean, I guess the other argument, too, is that if they're putting their products in those placements, those are placements that Amazon can't sell also, right? So there's an opportunity cost of doing that, too. But totally. it, it, it it does feel a little sketchy, at least, and you can certainly yeah. understand some of the, the arguments there. And, and if I were a third-party seller... You know, and I saw Amazon taking that spot. I might be, I might just, you know, in my gut, certainly be annoyed at the company. Uh, you know, and and I could see where that would feel unfair. Um, but that's interesting. That I, I was trying to think back, like, but and I think I've kind of seen the same thing where the Amazon product is is usually further down. And then I, I like personally, if I'm shopping on Amazon, I don't know why when I see the Amazon private label branded version i almost always avoid it and i don't know why like i don't know if yeah. there's just this in the back of my head i'm like yeah i'm not gonna i'm not gonna support the amazon branded label i'm gonna find somebody else but i <laughs> I, I can't quite understand what the psychology is that's kind of funny yeah, yeah i haven't really thought about that before but i think i do the same thing i don't yeah. really ever order amazon basics or their private label brands I don't know why though. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of weird. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe I've never really thought about that. I'd have to dig into that a little more. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I just occurred to me as we were talking too, and I, I, there's no, I don't think there's a good reason for it, but there's mm -hmm. just this little mental thing where I'm like, maybe it's because I feel like it's unfair and it's a little bit like, Hey, I'm going to support the, you know, the, the little guy <laughs> against the, the, the giant company, but I, I don't, I don't know. But of course, you know, I still, I use and I like Amazon all the time and I'm, I'm ordering mm -hmm. stuff from them all the time. Um, so yeah, it's, that's, that's kind of weird in its, in its own way. Are there, you know, along those lines, like, are there things that you really do wish Amazon changed in how it handles these things or handles third party sellers? I would say the, one of the biggest concerns of 30 third party sellers is getting, uh, like suspended or banned from their platform. Yeah. And the reason for this is a lot of these businesses are very big and substantial and, you know, either 100% or you know, 80% of their sales come from Amazon. So this is obviously a really scary thing for business owners. If you've built up, you know, this 10 million, $50 million a year type business, that's 100% reliant on Amazon. It'd be a really scary thing to be kicked off of their platform. Yeah. And, you know, I, I understand that. I, like I said, I normally kind of side with the entrepreneurs and small businesses and stuff. So I definitely feel for them. Um, if, if I were to kind of sit down next to Jeff Bezos right now and I would ask him to change one thing and re related to third-party sellers, I would just request that there's a better um, kind of like – almost like hearing or trial program where um, 
Yeah. Right now, it feels a little bit like uh, kind of shoot first, ask questions later, or that um, that it's really difficult for these sellers to kind of give their side of the story. Um, and the result of that, I mean, that's why everyone's kind of so scared of getting suspended or banned on Amazon. Now, I think it's only fair to look at it kind of from the other side too. You know, I think it, the reason that Amazon does this is one that no one seller of course is uh you know maybe that meaningful to them mm -hmm. which uh of course kind of sucks for the little guys but i would say probably the bigger reason that they do it is because one of the biggest threats to their business is counterfeit goods being sold on yep. their platform and the uh the result of that of consumers losing trust or just losing trust due to review fraud or counterfeit goods or these other areas that are really damaging for, to their brand and how people think about their brand. So it does make sense that they would take a very hard stance against this. And I think even if third-party sellers thought about this, they would also want Amazon to take a hard stance against it because if your business is fully reliant on Amazon, you don't want them getting bad press either <laughs> about right. uh, counterfeit goods or uh, you know fake reviews or whatever else. Um, but it would be nice if there was just they developed a little bit of a better process to give you an opportunity to kind of like make your case why, um, you know, that maybe you weren't doing any anything against their rules or um, a better warning system or I don't know exactly what it would look like, but I think there's definitely room for improvement there. Yeah, and that that makes sense. I mean, that gets at a lot of what we actually talk about on TechDirt of sort of the the challenges of content moderation at scale. And normally we're talking about like Twitter and Facebook and YouTube, but it applies to Amazon as well and, and all of these third-party sellers. And the fact is, like, I, I think most people can't quite comprehend the scale <laughs> right. and, and how much is going on. And, and the fact that you're dealing with a, a whole variety of, of different potential problems, often that will look the same, you know, whether it is a, an actual bad actor, right, who is, is trying to push, you know, counterfeit, dangerous products, you know, shoddy, mm -hmm. shoddy workmanship or whatever. And in fact, like that issue came up in the antitrust hearing as well where you know there were accusations made to, to basically like you know that you're not like you know effectively waving a magic wand and making those counterfeit products go away mm -hmm. um and so they have incentive obviously to to be very quick about you know shutting down accounts but then you know, at the same time, you know, you do wish that there was more of a more sort of due process <laughs> built right. into it. But, you know, it's it's the same thing as with Facebook and Twitter and, and YouTube and all of these other platforms where the scale is so immense that like putting in place that kind of due process has its own challenges, totally. in, including the idea that, you know, especially with bad actors, you know, one of the things that bad actors like to do is do everything to pretend that they're good actors. <laughs> I know, <laughs> right? <laughs> and they'll, That's what's they'll really hard. <laughs> yeah, and they'll abuse that process to sort of find out, like, what are the rules that they can go right up to the lines, right. you know, and say, like, so well, you, you know, you said, as long as I said this, I was okay, so now I'm saying that, uh, and it just becomes this huge hassle, and I can understand, you know, but, I, I, you know, again, it's one of those things where I see both sides of it, and I agree, like it would be nice if there were more due process and there were warnings and there was an appeals process that was clear and much more transparent. But I can also see Amazon's side of it where it's just like, you know, hey, you know, we're going to assume that as long as we get 90% correct on this and, and a few good, you know, 
uh, well-meaning sellers get caught in the crossfire, that's not that big of a deal to us, even if it is a big deal to to the to the seller. Um, you know, but it's, you know, I, I don't know how you solve that. This is you know, one yeah. of the themes that we've talked about on, on Tech is just the impossibility of doing content moderation in a way that doesn't, that, that doesn't suck, you know? Yeah, it's uh, so hard, right? Yeah, I, I don't have a good answer for it. It's yeah. just a really, really challenging thing. And I mean, honestly, like you said, uh, you know, 90% of it's working well and 10% kind of getting the crossfires unjustly. It's like, I mean, if I'm being honest with myself, if I was Bezos, I would probably continue with that. Like that seemed like it's yeah. probably working good enough. And I think you also hit the nail on the head that, the people who say are scamming the review system, they would probably also be the best at scamming the, uh, you know, <laughs> exactly. the, the trial process where they are figuring out whether or not you're guilty. <laughs> right, right, and and just tying up those resources, and at some point, it's just not worth it. If, if you know, if ninety percent of the appeals are going to be rejected anyways, you know, you can definitely see like someone like Bezos saying like, is this worth our time? You know, where you know there, there may be some collateral damage, but uh, especially when you have pressure from the other side saying like you're you're allowing too much junk on the platform in the first place and there've been a, a couple a couple of recent court rulings even that have said that Amazon should be held liable uh you know if there's a, a faulty product on their platform from a third party seller um even mm-hmm. though there's like I, I cannot see how Amazon could know enough to know whether or not the product itself was was faulty and so now there's like just legal liability that that will put even more pressure for for Amazon to to cut people off. I mean, I, I, that brings up just an interesting question. I don't know, like, how much of your business you focus on outside of of Amazon, but like, you know, are are these kind of third party sellers increasingly looking at at other platforms? I know obviously Amazon is the most dominant, um, but but I wonder how many of them you know really explore like using eBay as an alternative, or I know like a lot of the Chinese factories certainly use like AliExpress and stuff like that. Um, and, but I'm almost wondering like how many are experimenting with like direct consumer stuff using Shopify or anything like that. Like, do you have any, any insight into what's going on there? Yeah, I have quite a bit of insight. We actually just recently did a, like a state of the seller survey where we surveyed a few thousand sellers and asked them like a hundred questions. So we've got tons of cool insights on this and this is what I'll say is that all Amazon sellers wish that less of their sales came from Amazon. <laughs> Just like <laughs> at Jungle Scout, you know, um, 99% of our organic search traffic comes from Google. I wish, you know, it came from yep. a whole bunch of other sources instead. <laughs> right. I mean, like, I just wish it was evenly distributed between like a hundred sources to re- remove all liability <laughs> or like <Yep>. reduce <laughs> so much risk. Um, so all Amazon sellers wish that it was much more spread out through a whole bunch of different platforms to reduce risk. And the result of that is they usually try to sell on other platforms, whether it's their own e-commerce stores or Walmart or eBay or, you know, wherever else. But the fact of the matter is the vast majority of their sales come from Amazon. So, you know, it's like right. on average 90% or more. So it's... Uh, yeah, it's, I guess, just like me and Jungle Scout and all of our traffic comes from Google. I wish it came from other places, but the fact of the matter is people go to Google to uh, search um, how to get customer demand insights on Amazon, just like 
you know, typical people go to Amazon to search to purchase something. So, um, yeah, people are always looking at it, but the spot that the consumers are shopping is the best place to sell your goods. Right. Yeah, it totally makes sense. And that's, I mean, it gets back to what I said at the very beginning, just about network effects, right? I mean, it's just kind of the nature of these things. And, and you can understand from, from the consumer side why why that feels most beneficial, even if it is, you know, if it does represent a challenge for, you know, the providers on those on those platforms. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's 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 all it's all kind of fascinating to me. And I'm, I'm you know, I'm curious to see you know, what happens and how these things change. I mean, it's been interesting to me at least. And again, like I have, this is all anecdotal from my side, but I've been seeing a lot more companies that are doing kind of direct sales. And, and actually, um, you know, you, you probably have no idea, but like a few years ago, we, we put together uh, a, a card game uh, we do all sorts of weird things at TechDirt, but mm-hmm. we, we, we did a card game, which um, we explored putting it on Amazon. And it actually, we just decided it was too difficult. Um, you know, we're very small volume and the, the sort of terms and ways to set it up on Amazon just was too much of a hassle. So we just have a fulfillment partner and we just sell it directly. Mm-hmm. But it was kind of this exploration of, oh, it's interesting that the terms and deals and, and structure you have to go through to get onto Amazon, um, you know, is that worth it for us where, you know, our volume would be so small? Um, but it's, you know, I, 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 I've been seeing more and more sellers of at least unique items trying to go direct and using things like Shopify or other, other platforms, um, mm-hmm. even though they recognize that Amazon is often where, you know, where a lot of people expect all sales to go through. Right. Uh, so. Yeah, I mean, if you um, have your an audience outside of Amazon, so for you, you know, it's on the podcast, your email list, or for other people who say, for example, have a big social following or wherever right. you have your audience, if you have it off of Amazon, uh, I think it makes the most sense to just set up your own e-commerce store, Shopify store, whatever else, and sell directly on that. Um, you know, all signs kind of, point to that being a better option for you. The uh, What Amazon, of course, is so great for is bringing you that demand. So you right. know, if you don't have an audience or you want to sell your goods, uh, just to the general public, the best way to get it in front of them is Amazon. Right, right. Yeah, and, and yeah, I mean, you go where the audience is. So mm-hmm. that to- totally makes sense. Cool. Well, this was this was really interesting. You know, it's a lot of stuff that that I, I may have speculated about, but but didn't really know about. And and you have a lot of experience and knowledge about this stuff. So I think this was this was really fascinating. So uh, I I really appreciate you taking the time. Um, in the in the podcast description, we'll link to to your article. Um, but I, I think a lot of a lot of our listeners will really enjoy this conversation. Uh, and and find it find it interesting. So so thank you so much, Greg, for for taking the time and and having this discussion uh, with us. Absolutely, it's been fun. Thanks, Mike, and uh, talk to you later. Great, and thanks to everyone for listening. And we'll be back next week. Yeah.